0: Hello, and welcome to Rough Edges Podcast with Sarah I. Fox. In this podcast, I will guide you through my faith and mental health journey to dispel the stigma surrounding mental illness and to create an empowering resource for those who wish to discover more about these topics. I pray that this podcast will not only bless you, but that it will bring growth and healing to our communities. Hey there, Sarah here. Before you dive into today's episode, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your support and for hitting that play button. If you wanna expand on that support, here are three ways that you can do so. One, leave a review. If anything in today's episode resonated with you or you wanna share how the podcast changed your life, you can do so by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Two, check out our shop. The Rough Edges Shop is a faith-based, women of color-owned online shop where you can get a variety of products from tote bags, journals, T-shirts, crewnecks, and more. 20% of the proceeds go to a mental health organization. So check it out at roughedgespodcast.com slash shop. Three, connect on social media. Rough Edges is on a variety of social media platforms, including Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and more. If you want to connect outside of listening to the podcast episodes, you can do so on those platforms. If you have any more questions or want more information on the ways that I've just discussed, you can check out the episode description or stay to the end for more information. Now enjoy your episode. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Rough Edges. Today I am joined by a very special guest, Mr. John Finkeldi. As lead pastor at C3 Church, Hepburn Heights, which is based in Australia, and with 30 years of pastoral experience, John led his church through generational renewal, which helped his church grow while planting a new church every three years, and it also helped to move to a purpose-built, multi-million dollar worship center in 2012. John founded Grow a Healthy Church and has conducted over 170 on site and online church consults in five nations. Welcome, John.
1: Sarah, great to be uh, with you all the way from Australia. Fabulous to be with you.
0: Yes, and I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. And so, before we dive into our discussion, what are three things that you're most passionate about and why?
1: I'm really passionate about church life and church leadership, having uh, been in ministry for four decades uh, now. I'm really passionate about the church. I'm also uh, deeply passionate about my grandsons. I have four grandsons. I have no granddaughters, so no little princesses, just four beautiful boys, full of energy, full of run, uh, age from four to 13. I'm very passionate about them. I'm seeing them this afternoon at a family picnic, so I love being with them. And my third passion is. probably uh, probably not well-known to people outside Australia. It's called Australian Rules Football. And if you want to Google Australian Rules Football and watch some of the most amazing, quick, speedy, courageous, fascinating sport in the world, check out Australian Rules Football. Google that, Sarah, and all your listeners, and uh, you'll see some very interesting clips of a sport that you'll go, what on earth is going on with that? So I'm very passionate about my... My my footy, we call it footy in Australia. Very passionate about it and love it.
0: Nice. That is so awesome. And I am definitely going to Google that and check it out. I'm pretty sure it's like really fun to watch. So, yeah, I'm going to check that out for sure.
1: <laughs> it is. Uh, it's fun to watch, very fast, and uh, also a bit confusing if you're not used to it. But you watch some of the way they can kick the ball uh, about 80 yards. Uh, they can kick the ball um, and mark it. They jump on guys' shoulders and grab the ball, catch the ball. It's amazing. Phenomenal. Great <laughs> game. And no one what? wears helmets or padding at all. What? Yeah, that's full on.
0: Huh, okay. Yeah, I will definitely have to check that out. <laughs> check <better>. it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, I want to know, like, what led you to become a pastor?
1: Yeah, when I was growing up uh, here, I grew up in Perth on the west coast of Australia. Uh, As a teenager, I wasn't in a Christian home. I really had a desire to, uh, about 15 or 16, start to ask all the big life questions. What am I on the planet for? Why am I alive? What's my purpose in life? And as I began to start a search, I got involved in all sorts of different religions and occult practices, all sorts of weird and wonderful, wacky things. And then uh, a couple of my friends um, discovered Christ, came to Jesus and started to share the gospel with me. And then eventually at 19, I made that decision to follow the Lord. And right from the get-go, I I decided, when I came to Christ, I decided, well, if you're really full-on Christian, you become a missionary. That was my limited understanding of being a Christian. I thought, (laughs) if you're really passionate about Jesus, you become a missionary. Of course, that's not true. You don't have to be a missionary, but um, out of that, really had a desire to serve the Lord and did a lot of youth work. And ultimately, our our church said, look, the youth work is growing so much. We want you to become a youth pastor on our staff, on our team. And so I joined the uh, pastoral team of our church, started out as a youth pastor. And it really was the fulfillment of probably a a dream that had been in my heart for about eight or nine years to become a pastor, to go into ministry and to serve the Lord in, in that particular way.
0: Wow. I really appreciate like the level of discovery and also the fact that you were developing like a love for just like not only ministry, but also for like youth ministry as well. You know, like that is really like a testament to how the journey is never really like what we expected to be, but it always ends up being more fulfilling than what we were going to do before. So I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, I think that's really true that, that there is a journey that you go on of discovering left and right, where do I go? Which which angle do I take? Um, and I think it's, it's definitely walking with the Lord. It's discovering Jesus and then walking with Him and allow Him to kind of also, I think, refine those desires because you can have that passion to be a pastor. Um, but I think it needs to be definitely regulated in terms of, hey, it's not all about me and my ministry and what I can do. The ultimate end is to serve the Lord and then to serve his people, which at that stage of my life was serving uh, young people, students especially, that I think you do do a journey of discovery and a, a journey of development, of growing as a person through the ups and downs of that. I think you're totally right there.
0: Definitely. So I know that you have like an experience with mental health, uh, specifically mm. with depression. Can you mm. share a little bit about like your mental health journey and your battle with depression?
1: Yeah, when I was uh, a teenager, I I suffered depression uh, around 17 or 18. I think it was part of my journey of trying to find out what on earth am I here for. And I found in that journey that I found it quite um yeah, quite challenging just to kind of live my life and I got quite depressed, quite down the dumps in that. When I when I came to Christ at 19, um, that got healed. It just seemed to go away. I just found peace and joy and just, just got on with my life. Uh, so I got on with my life through my 20s and 30s and 40s. And as I kind of matured in the Lord, I didn't have those mental health struggles. And then when I was in my mid-40s, um, I had this really terrible interaction with a key mentor in my life, someone I really looked up to, someone I really respected, and they did some things that really hurt me, disappointed me at a heightened level, not just your normal day-to-day sort of getting upset or sad, um, because I think sadness is a part of life, but depression is a whole nother beast, Mm. and I plunged into this horrible despair for about 15 months, and you know you're in deep depression, real depression, not just sadness and upset. When you feel like you can't get through a day, you feel like you can't even face what's on your calendar in the morning. And during that 15 months uh, with this relational breakdown that really hurt me and damaged me, I'd get up in the morning and I'd look at my calendar and go, right, I've got an appointment at nine o'clock. Can I do that appointment? Mm. Yep, I can. All right, let's do that appointment. And then I've got another one at 11. I've done the nine o'clock one. Can I do the 11 o'clock appointment? yeah I think I'm good let's do it so and then at one o'clock you'd go home because you feel exhausted from all the endeavors of doing the morning's work now that's not normal living that's more than sadness and that's into an area of clinical depression despair so I had that for about 15 months and during that period um, I started to contemplate ending my life now I was pastoring our church, I was leading our church, we're we're in the middle of a building program, raising money for a new building, selling our current facility, our church was growing, church was vibrant and alive, but I was in despair, and so I contemplated ending my life and planning how to do that in a way, this will sound bizarre, but this is the reality of where I was at, of actually thinking, how can I do this in a way that doesn't affect my life insurance? So my wife will still be okay. I mean, that's how bad it got. Now, I obviously didn't act on those thoughts. Thank the Lord that I didn't. Um, But it was interesting one morning when I got up to go to work, go down to the church office, that I I just couldn't face the day. And I sat down at our little meals table area and began to cry and to sob. And my wife just standing with me, just sitting with me, and just said, "What's, what's going on? And I told her then that I'd had thought of ending my life. And she at that point realized she, she already knew I wasn't well, but she knew I went. You are really not well. Um, and at that point is when I got some intervention. Some friends and our board members really got around me and helped me process through that. And also, I, I just think the grace of God carried me through. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I kept uh, Sarah. It's really important that I think if you're in listening to this and you're in a state of despair, you're really in a dark, dark place. And I understand that dark place never give up on prayer. Continue to go and sit with the Lord. And I did that through the 15 months. I've been a man of prayer for many years now, but I would just go and sit with the Lord. And I wouldn't say much. Um, didn't really feel like saying much. Sometimes you don't have to say much. I just would sit there and sometimes I'd just say, Lord, can you just help me, please? Help me get through this. And mm-hmm. I'm doing that regularly through the week, through those months, Sarah. And then Um, probably about eight or nine months, I think it was, into that journey. I'm sitting with the Lord one morning. didn't feel particularly great, but I had a vision in my mind. Um, I wasn't called up to heaven or anything weird like that. It (laughs) it was just in my mind's eye I had this vision. And I didn't feel particularly spiritual or holy that morning, I've got to say. Um, This is just the Lord uh, intervening. And I saw a hand coming out of heaven. And the hand, um, I just thought, that's the hand of God. And I saw the hand come down and grab me by the back of my shirt and hang on to me. And I was dangling like a rag doll. My arms and legs were just dangling. I had no strength. And this hand was holding me by my shirt collar. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, "Uh, you can let go, but I never will. Mm. And I thought, oh, wow. Now, that's nearly 30 years ago now. And that vision and that that word from the Holy Spirit, I just thought, well, that's true. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me, the Bible says. And the Lord was giving me a picture and saying, look, I know you're weak at the moment, but I've got you. I'm hanging on to you. And I think that encounter with the Lord, the help of my wife, the help of my friends, and being vulnerable and telling people, this is how dark it is, this is how bad it is. Um, I eventually wended my way out of that and have never been back in that place in the last. That was. Uh, It was 25 years ago. So yeah, if you're in despair and depression, you can get out of it, but you need to talk to someone, need to open up.
0: Yes. Wow. That was so powerful. Like you had me tearing up with that like (sighs) visual of God just saying like, you know, I'm never going to let you go. And I think sometimes like when we're in those dark moments, God can feel so distant, but it's just having that, tangible and sometimes it's like through your community as well like having those like reminders that hey you're not alone and i really appreciate how much your community rallied around you like your wife like your board members like even i i i assume your church community as well just like they rallied around you in your darkest moment and that also gave you the persistence and just the determination to say you know what Even though I don't have anything to say really right now, I'm going to sit with God and I'm going to like pray. Even if the prayer is Lord help me, I am going to pray to God and talk to him. And that is just so beautiful. And it's such a testament to like, not only how faithful God is, but how patient he is too, you know? And I just appreciate, oh man, you got me crying over here, but
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just appreciate
0: that so much.
1: Uh, thank you. I, I, I think it is a real, um, it is a testimony to the goodness and the grace and the faithfulness of God to get us through anything. And I think, I think on our side of it, I, I think it is that, look, you know, whatever spiritual discipline or process that you use in terms of prayer or scripture, just stay the journey. And at times it will feel I would I would say my prayer life that year was pathetic. I'd say it was very weak. I was pastoring my church, leading my church, but it wasn't about my strength in prayer. It was just, okay, Lord, I'm going to sit with you. I don't feel like I could change anything, doing anything, but I'm going to stay with you. And um, certainly my wife and board and, and church board and friends got around me. Now, my church community, I didn't um, tell my church community about this for a number of years. I just thought... Now, I think as a pastor my my one of my primary missions as a pastor is to bring hope and strength to people, and I wanted mm-hmm. to wait until I was well yeah. out of out of that depression before I then went hey um, this is a journey I went through a number of years ago, and I'm out the other side. you don't have to be worried I'm well and truly out the other side I'm good i'm okay I'm not having and it probably took me about. I didn't start sharing publicly about the suicide thoughts for about 12 years. Mm. Um, Just kept that to myself. My wife obviously knew that. And then I started to share it um, publicly in various men's conferences. I'd share it now on podcasts. I share it. I share it anywhere I can because I know there are people that I'm talking to who have the same struggles. It's a very human struggle. And I think, if i had acted on those thoughts 25 years of life that i've lived since i would have known my grandsons mm. um wouldn't have been there for my my daughter's wedding i think about that my son's wedding um the life i've lived in terms of church leadership and family and friends all that 25 years i would have missed out on them. and uh, i would have got to heaven i don't believe suicide is is uh, you know a a gateway away from heaven. I, don't, I never put that right. on anyone's life, but but I don't want to turn up to heaven early. Yes, that was <laughs> <I call laughs> the Lord kind of saying, hey, "What are you doing here? You came early, funny. buddy. Yeah, you're not due. This is not your date. <laughs> What's going on? You took it into your own hands. So I, I don't want that conversation with the Lord. <laughs> um, and I just think if you're in a state of despair, keep praying and talk to someone. Do not try and get through this by yourself. It's so important.
0: Yes, absolutely. I definitely agree. And I'm so grateful for your testimony of just God's goodness and his faithfulness in your life. So thank you again for sharing that. So what is Grow a Healthy Church? Kind of pivoting to um, mm. what you created, like what is it and how did you go about like creating it?
1: Yeah, we've always had, my wife and I, a real passion for training people, developing people, um, helping people discover their gift and their passion and then flourish in it. That's always been a big aspect of our church leadership. So when it came to um, finishing pastoring our church, we were there for 30 years in pastoral roles uh, 10 years youth pastor and associate pastor and 20 years as the lead pastors, we kind of thought, well, what what should we do? We're still young enough um, to do something. We don't want to retire. Um, so we thought, let's do something that's our passion, which is people development. And so then we, we created Grow a Healthy Church as a consulting and coaching vehicle. So we come alongside churches. Uh, we do a three-day on-site consultation with them. We analyze various things uh, around their church about discipleship, evangelism, their volunteering and serving areas, their their pathway to growth, areas of their uh, finances. There's about 10 different areas of the church we analyze. And then also we do some analysis of the pastor's lifestyle to make sure that it's sustainable and productive. Um, We'd look at all the metrics of the church, then we write a series of recommendations for the church and then coach the pastor for 12 months to help them implement those recommendations. And generally most churches, probably about two-thirds of churches, have us back for a second and a third year, just to kind of keep the implementation on track and give it more momentum as we go along. So over the 12 years, we've done about 170 plus of these sort of consultations in Australia, uh, Europe and the UK, uh, New Zealand as well. And we've just found that churches uh, churches need some clarity about where to focus. They get a mm-hmm. bit lost. They're kind of not sure where to evangelize, how to disciple. They get a bit lost in that. And pastors just need encouragement. And also, again, a, a bit of clarity about, should I do more of this or less of that? And because of our 30 years of experience in pastoral ministry, we're able to give them some Direction, some guidance, I mean, plenty of encouragement as well. I always, I always have two goals when I go into a consult. Sarah, one is that there'll be a far clearer direction for the church going forward and where they should focus, and secondly, that the pastor will feel encouraged. The pastor Mm -hmm. will feel better that emotionally they'll have a boost from me being there. Because let's face it, we all need a pat on the back. We all need someone to help us. We all need someone to say, "You are doing great there. Keep going with that." or maybe less of that will help you as well. So yeah, we've been doing that for the last 12 years. Love it, enjoy it, and um, we'll keep doing it as long as we've got breath.
0: That's awesome. And so with, like, your experience as, like, pastor and 12 years of Grow a Healthy Church, I can imagine that you experience sometime the fatigue or the burnout, the leadership fatigue that comes with, like, having all these responsibilities and mentoring, like, all these other leaders and, you know, church members. So as a pastor, how do you manage that leadership fatigue?
1: That's a great question. And it's a big post-pandemic. It's a massive issue for pastors in building a sustainable ministry life. I I think a couple of the key areas that I suggest to pastors regularly, um, one is exercise, get out and do some walking, go to a gym, swim, ride a bike. Whatever. I've just come back from my morning walk here in Australia. Had a nice 30-minute walk. Uh, kind of thought, I better get back because Sarah's coming on, so (laughs) I didn't have too long a walk today. But get some exercise going. That's really important. Secondly is make sure that you have a period of 36 hours a week for a pastor where you unplug, where you turn off. I, I, I know this sounds like I've shot Bambi here, but turn off your phone, pastor. Pastors go, what? Turn the phone off, you can't even Live on my phone. <laughs> no, no, unplug from your phone. Now you might need to practice turn it off for a couple of hours one day, just to get the feeling of being unplugged. Um, but do do a thirty-six hour sabbatical if you like, where you just dial down, you rest, relax. Uh, if you're married, go out for a bit of a date with your spouse. Uh, enjoy that sort of process. But. Relax, enjoy. Don't work seven days a week. Even God, who after creating for six days, had a break. Yeah, <laughs> and you're not God, so you need a bit longer. So have 36 hours a week where you just unplug, rest. It's so important. Then I think also annual holidays. Um, and I I'm a huge fan. In Australia, we have different work laws. Uh, every employee in Australia gets four weeks of annual holidays, annual vacation. Paid for by oh. their employer, which is quite remarkable. Um, now, I know that's not the same all around the world, but pastors, can I encourage you to take at least a two-week break every year? Two Sundays, two weekends off. Don't go on oh. a mission trip for your holiday. Don't go and preach somewhere else on your holidays. Have two weeks where you're unplugged. I mean, if you live like Sarah in New York City, you can have a great holiday in New York City and just kind of wander around, look at all the tourist things. You don't need to go away anywhere. You don't, need to, you don't even need to spend a lot of money in a lot of cities that pastors live in because there's lots of tourist things there. So have a two-week break every year, Unplug. You'll find, Pastor, it takes you about eight or ten days to actually unwind enough where you to start to relax. I think a week off for a pastor actually is probably worse than not taking a week off. Well, it's probably better than nothing, but a week off—you're hardly going to have got your head out of the pastoral mode into holiday mode, vacation mode, and then suddenly you've got to wind up again. Probably the other thing I'd recommend in terms of sustainable ministry life is is have another pastor friend. No mm-hmm. one understands pastors as well as pastors. Pastors understand each other's world. Just as policemen understand a policeman's world, doctors understand a doctor's world, it's not that we're unique. But pastors understand each other. Do all you can, all you can to find a friend in ministry who you can sit down and be real with and talk with and be vulnerable with rather than, you you know, pastors will understand this. When a pastor goes to a conference, you have to put on your conference face and you have to pretend everything's okay for the first couple of days. But with a friend, you can go, you know what? We had a really difficult Sunday. You know, the the lead musicians didn't turn up. The kids' worker got sick. Man, my wife had to go and, go and do the kids' ministry, and the kids were ratty, and it was just challenging, and half the church wasn't there. Oh, man. You've got to be able to tell someone that. You've got to let that out. Otherwise, it just breeds resentment inside you. So. Yeah, a few tips there, I think, uh, Sarah. I've written a book called 27 Ways to Avoid Burnout. Um, so worth checking out that book on Amazon. Um, just a, you know, very, it's a very short book, about 60 pages. I only write short books. I like reading short books. So I write short ones. But just a whole bunch of practical examples of 27 ways to avoid burnout, practical ways to live a long and healthy life.
0: Wow. Those are great. Oh my gosh. And definitely I'm going to put the book in the show notes so everybody else can definitely get a chance to read that. Thank you for sharing that. And so I imagine like as a pastor, you encounter probably certain conversations or topics about mental health in the church. Mm -hmm. And so how does your church handle conversations surrounding mental health topics?
1: That's a great question. I, I, I think you start from a, a framework of you want to point people to Jesus because um, Jesus is the ultimate one who gives peace and life. So you ultimately want to point people to Jesus and make sure they've got to walk with him, but you can't stop there. I think then within that framework, you do have a whole culture, I'd call it a culture of care a culture of vulnerability and transparency and certainly not a culture of, of guilt or of shame or blame or putting people down because they're struggling with depression or they're struggling with anxiety or there's a, a therapy scenario they're going through that some people could point a finger at. And say, well, you should just trust the Lord. What are you doing there? That's the last thing you want to hear in our church and you won't hear it in our church where if people say, look, you know what? I've been severely anxious the last month, and I don't know why I'm anxious. I'm not just worried. I can't even figure out where it's coming from, but I feel anxiety all the time. No one in our church is going to shame you and blame you for that. They're going to say, okay, let's have a little prayer. Let's pray for you. Let's talk to you. Now, maybe let's connect you with one of our pastors. Go and have some pastoral care counseling with a pastor, and generally they'll follow that pathway of if they've shared with a church member. Church member will care for them, pray with them, encourage them, love them, share a story with them to help and encourage them, check in on them. But then we'll say, look, go and have a talk to one of our pastors. Talk with the pastor talk it through. And then generally what our pastor will do, we'll do an assessment at that point. Now, not a professional assessment, it's more a pastoral care assessment of, you know what, I think if we have a couple of chats, a bit of prayer, and you start talking to your small group leader and get a bit of love around you, I think you're going to be okay. Other times it might be, you know what, I think you need to go and see a counsellor. And we refer then someone to a a trained Christian professional counsellor, that can do some therapy with them if they need that. But I think it's assessing at the point of, all right, what's the need here? And, and you know, people who suffer from anxiety and 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 diagnostic aspects of anxiety is people don't know why they're anxious. We all get anxious. We all get worried. That's, that's been a human being. But when you have anxiety that has no root cause, then that becomes a really difficult issue. Now, sometimes that can be solved just by people walking it through with Jesus, talking with their friends, building up some some areas and habits of of life, even around exercise and nutrition, to be honest, it starts to shift that thing all by itself. If it does, great. If not, we make sure that therapy is available for people to work through anything they've got. The key thing I think, Sarah, is no shame, no blame, no guilt trips on anybody. If you're dealing with a mental health issue, this is a beauty, I, I think, definitely around the globe today that mental health issues don't have the stigma that they had 20, 30 years ago, that there's mm-hmm. far more openness to talk about and which I think is very healthy.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, we're definitely more open than we were years ago, but we still have a little more of a ways to go, you know, in terms of like actually having the conversation, especially in churches, because I really love that your church is open to mental health, but a lot of churches, it's very taboo in that Mm -hmm. environment and it's more of like oh if you have that or if you're dealing with that then you must not really believe in God or his power of healing you know so it's like it's very resistant in some churches and they're not really at the stage to get to the point where it's like more open there's no shame there's no stigma attached to it so like why do you think that Mental health topics are rarely discussed in certain churches
1: I, I I think it's a bit of a a lot of our a lot of our thinking comes out of our theology and out of our culture and I, I think that in some churches the theology is is that you know Jesus came to give us life and life to the full and they look at that scripture and and they kind of take that and lift that off the page which is a great scripture and just that's it. That's, that covers everything. Whereas they go to, don't go to Acts 27. Acts 27, where Paul and uh, Luke and Aristarchus are getting shipwrecked. There's a great verse in there. It's one of the best verses in the New Testament. It says that we finally gave up all hope. I think it's around verse 20, 24. I can't quite remember. But it says we finally gave up all hope. And here you have the apostle Paul, the great apostle of faith and hope, saying, I gave up. I thought, there's no way out. We're done. We're doomed. And Mm -hmm. so, hang on, Jesus gives life and life to the full. Wait, what are you thinking that for? Well, sometimes life overwhelms us. And I I think there are, I think a theology of scripture that says we're only going to focus on the really good things. We're only going to focus on the Psalms 150, you know, praise the Lord with the timbrel and the dance and praise him and everything. Whereas there's other Psalms, Psalm 87, 88, you know, my, my best friend is darkness, one of the Psalms finishes with that phrase, see either Psalm 87 or 88, my best friend is darkness, oh my goodness, It's like that Paul Simon song, hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> I, I think we kind of, a theology that cuts out that part of scripture. I mean, there's a whole book called Lamentations, a whole yes. book of the Bible. It's not the most encouraging book to read, but there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations, which means... We're deeply down in the dumps, we'd say, in Australia. We're sad. We're overwhelmed. You've got a whole book of Job, a book about suffering, of trauma. I mean, imagine losing your kids. I mean, just goodness me. You know, you can't kind of just, you know, all your children get killed and then you wake up and say, oh, it's a wonderful day. No, it's not. It's a grief day. Um, So I think it comes from a theology that I think is very biased it's very unbalanced it's very much towards hey god is good all the time nothing's wrong let's just praise the lord and mm. the whole truth is what we need the whole truth is that god is good let's praise him amen the other side is there is suffering there's depression there's anxiety there's despair we're broken human beings we're not all whole yet we don't have resurrected bodies we're yeah. not whole we are people who struggle and I, I think it's a broken theology, to be honest with you. And I think I think in those churches it's very hard for people to put their hand up and say, I'm in the Book of Lamentations. In my life at the moment, I'm despairing. I am not happy. There is despair in my world and I love Jesus. I walk of Jesus, but I just can't see a way through. And I think I think we need to be honest enough to do that.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And it's so true. It's like we tend to over spiritualize a lot of things. And it's just like we neglect to actually even realize that there were a lot of like biblical heroes that suffered. Um, Mm -hmm. like even Elijah, the prophet, like he was suicidal and he was very depressed, you know, when he thought he was the only one that was still serving God. I mean, there are like a, a bunch of examples, like even Jesus himself like in the garden of Gethsemane. And when Lazarus died, like he was, he was grieving as well. Like Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, but it's like very powerful because it's like even the son of God, perfect and holy, he also had moments of grief, you know? And so I agree with you when you say like, so it's the theology of it where people are just like, okay, if I'm a Christian, then life should be all good. And that's not necessarily guaranteed, you know.
1: It's never, never the truth. The reality is, and look, I'm at my stage of life. I'm quite pragmatic about these things. Is that if you're telling me uh, as a Christian my life is always good, I'd say, well, well, hang around because <laughs> the truth is, is that I've lived, you know, many decades following the Lord in my life, I have a wonderful life on my walk this morning. I was just thanking the Lord. I was going through, I, I thought I'd go through a list. I'm complaining too much, Sarah. So I thought I'll go through a list of what I'm thankful for. That'll, that'll stop me complaining about something. And so I'm doing that and I've got a wonderful life, but gee, I tell you what, I've, I've had some suffering, some pain, Physical, mental, emotional pain through all that. And I think that's part and parcel of being human. And to deny that, I think it's to deny your humanity. It's certainly not a lack of faith. You know, I have great faith. But uh, I think in the midst of faith, I go, you know what? There's brokenness, there's trouble. In this world, Jesus said, you'll have trouble. There you go. In this world, you'll have trouble. There's a promise from Jesus. (laughs) No (laughs) one's quoting that. I've got a great promise from the Lord. In this world, you'll have trouble. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You will get through this trouble. But I think if you you cull that out of your theology, then you're not going to have a rich life. You're going to have a life of denial. And also people are going to feel when they're around you, they're not going to be honest because they're going to feel you pushing back even if you don't say anything, they'll feel your rejection. But if you're honest, you know what, Yeah, in this world, I've got trouble. I've got so much trouble, but I've overcome the world. Lord will get me through.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I'm kind of curious, like if you could change, like, let's say one or two things about how the church handles mental health topics, like what would you change and why?
1: I, I I would change it from the top down. I, I think from your pastor level and your board level, I think to have some honest discussions about the realities of people's lives. And so I, th- I think to have some educational level seminar workshops for your pastors and board to really work through how do we tackle this uh, from a strong theological base, biblical base, and also in a very practical sense for our congregation. Then I think if if it was in a church and I was consulting with them, they were saying, how do we go down this track? I'd say, start there and then do a, a series in your church, Sunday series and small group series, looking at this from a very balanced, very biblical, very wholesome way, in a healthy way. Not kind of encouraging everyone to find, you know, everyone's now got to find a disorder, a mental health problem. No, we don't want that. But some of you are really suffering. So we're going to open it up and we're going to kind of, uh, you know, sunlight, what's someone say? Sunlight is the best disinfectant. Get some light into the church. We're going to have a look at this. We're going to look at this from both angles of how to handle this as Christians without all being in a place of despair, but also moving us all out of a place of denial. And I think I would do that within the church. I'd also would make sure that anytime you go public in terms of a church preaching series or small groups, that on your website, you have a page making available referral people, therapists and counselors that people can go to. So if they go, you know what, I I think I really have um, a depression scenario or an anxiety, anxiety disorder. Right. On our website, here's people that we trust, that we know, that we recommend you go and see and go and see them. And maybe the church, if it's able to, is able to maybe Also help people with some of the expenses of those areas. I know our church has done this over the years to refer someone to a therapist and say, look, we will help you uh, pay for those expenses uh, as well um i think i think that's probably the sort of things i would do to open it up but at the same time um making sure that you've got available resources to help people so people don't feel oh, what do i do now i've discovered that that i've got a mental health problem they've got to, you've got to have a pathway of healing uh, for those people
0: yes oh i definitely agree with that and i love that you mentioned like incorporating mental health professionals as well Because that is really crucial because it's like, it's, it's one thing to like, yes, have your church community and your leaders, like, you know, bring these topics up. But like you said, what do you do with the information that you gain from, you know, like talking about it in these discussions? Mm. So I really appreciate that with the resources. That's really good.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I think you've got to have a comprehensive approach to it.
0: Yes. Yeah, I definitely agree. Well, John, it was so great having you on the podcast. But before we go, I have one final question for you. So what words of advice or words of encouragement do you have for church leaders or church members who are struggling with mental health conditions?
1: I think uh, the key thing is, is talk to a friend. Um, if your marriage isn't a healthy place, talk to your spouse. Um, Now, if your marriage is in a challenging place, that may not be your first port of call, mightn't be the first place to go. If your marriage is challenging and difficult and it's like, man alive, this might be just, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back, don't don't do that to your spouse. Talk to a good friend, a friend that you trust, a confidant, um, talk with them, get them to pray with you. Start somewhere by, again, getting sunlight, getting light, getting things out of the dark, into the light. That'll be very challenging. If you've never talked to anyone about this, that will be challenging. So have the courage. Have the courage. Take some strength and courage and go and do that. And then from there, I think assess with your friend uh, or with your spouse and say, look, do I need to go to a counsellor? Do I need to get some professional help? And that can be a first protocol where you go. You know what? I'm going to go to a counsellor, maybe just one session to do some assessment and see where I go from there. But to actually wrestle with this by yourself, I would plead with you: do not do that. Don't keep it in the dark. Don't think I'll get through it by myself. No, you won't. Uh, if you've got a if you've got a serious mental health issue, you will not defeat this by yourself. Prayer and Bible. I'm sorry to say it won't be enough. You will need a friend. We're built for relationship. We're built for community. Have the humility and the courage to open up to someone and start your journey to healing. And don't, don't miss out on what the rest of your life could be. It could be way better than what it is now if you're really struggling. So go get the help you need.
0: Yes, I couldn't agree more. So, John, thank you so much for joining me today. And where can people find you?
1: Um, GrowaHealthyChurch dot com is my website. Um, If you just Google the words "grow a healthy church," you'll find me on page one. My website's been around for many years, so it's got got good Google sort of SEO traffic there. So, (laughs) GrowaHealthyChurch dot com. Land on there. There's plenty of blog posts and free resources on there. Um, as well for pastors Uh, check out everything that I do there and uh, pastors uh, church leaders if you want to connect with me you can message me through the website um, on social media as well Um, just google grow healthy church you'll find me pretty quickly
0: yes oh thank you again and I will have all those links in the show notes and everyone stay tuned for more empowering episodes on Rough Edges Thank you for listening to another episode of Rough Edges Podcast with Sarah I. Fox. If you want more exciting updates on the podcast, follow on Instagram at rough.edges.podcast. You can also visit the official podcast website at www.roughedgespodcast.com. Thanks again for listening and have a wonderful day.